Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you need anything from the podcast or would like to suggest a future guest, please email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. This is another episode of MedTech Money powered by Project MedTech. This is a special series by Project MedTech where we have partnered with Mr. MedTech himself, Giovanni Loricella, in a series of podcast episodes focusing on money in the MedTech space. Giovanni's guest today is Anish Koshal from Amplitude Ventures. In this episode, Giovanni and Anish discuss his path to becoming a venture capitalist, the MedTech ecosystem in Canada, how Amplitude Ventures invests, what they are looking for in a MedTech company, and more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Anish Kaushal. Thank you very much, Anish, for joining us. This is MedTech Money podcast series, which is powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And I want to say thank you for joining us and taking the time to share your insights, of which we'll not only get into your background, but also talk more about the Canadian MedTech and venture capital ecosystem today. But before we even do that, I wanted to set the stage of why we're here. Uh, And the reason why this podcast even exists is I've talked to thousands of med tech entrepreneurs and investors around the world. And what I've discovered is that there's real no silver bullet or specific formula about how to raise or invest capital in med tech. And so my goal here is I would like to extract insights and anecdotal stories from entrepreneurs, bankers, attorneys, investors like yourself to help those who can benefit from the insights. And I believe for generations of entrepreneurs to come. So what I imagine this audience is, is a mixture of experts who have been there and done that before or novices. However, I want to extract your stories, your insights and advice to share with what I imagine that first time founder and CEO who has no clue on what lies ahead of them in their journey of raising capital. So I thought the best place to start is learning from experienced professionals like yourself. And the reason why I specifically wanted you on this podcast is to share your insights on a few things. Um, first and foremost, I want to I want to focus on that Canadian market just to kind of shed some light to the rest of the world on what's happening in Canada from a med tech as well as a VC perspective. And then secondly, um, what's it like to be a VC and even a VC in Canada? So that's why we're here. So I want to start with two open-ended questions and then get into who is a niche so that everyone knows who they're listening to. The first question is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Or am I missing anything important? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I would say yes, they are. I think more the people than the money. I think the money is definitely important, but I think the people... At the, like the way I think about it is like people at the end of the day are what starts companies and the ones that start companies and the ones that start products. And you always, if you always recruit good people and you have good people who are sort of driven by something that's bigger than just money, 
then the money will eventually come. Like the way I, I tend to think about it is like, if you build it, they will come. Somebody, somebody famous has, has sort of said that once. Uh, but basically the way I think about it is like, the people are probably the most important part of any company that you're doing, because if you can build something that's high quality, uh, that's a solid product, the money will find you. Uh, so I tend to think of it more of the people side than the money side. Makes sense to me. And this one's more geared to you, but building your career, coming from where you came from, and now here at Amplitude Ventures, if you knew what you know now about being a med tech investor, a VC, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? And what would you do differently if you could? Uh, yes, definitely. I, I mean, I have no regrets about the way uh, my path has come. I, I've been very fortunate to sort of uh, live across the world in multiple different countries doing uh, different things at different times. Uh, and I think through that journey, I've learned a lot and been able to experience a lot, not only as like a professional and as an investor, but just as a person in general, that I think has really informed my opinion on how to invest properly, but also like what you should look for and differentiating factors when valuing companies and also people and like understanding how people work, how people operate. Uh, and so like, yeah, I, I don't think I have any regrets on, on sort of the journey. I think maybe one of the questions you had was what would I do differently? I think uh, just getting exposure to like stuff like this and, and, you know, super grateful that you get to put this quality content out because I think that's the thing that I look, look to and, and I'm trying to do myself is like, how do you inform this next generation of entrepreneurs and people that don't have the insights that we've been lucky enough to have just through experience and having conversations um, that you can inform them so that like they have the information when they get to the same stage that I necessarily didn't have. Um, so I think that's the only thing is like trying to maybe learn a bit more stuff earlier on, but that's also, I don't know, part for the course and, and through it, learn through experience. So, yeah. And I think, and I'll spoil it real quick. We'll get into your background right now, but your job is learning, right? I mean, you, you yeah. went to medical school, right? So, I mean, yeah. that's how your brain naturally works. So obviously just trying to suck in as much information as you possibly can. That's, that's what you do. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, without further ado, Anish Kaushal, please tell us who you are and tell us the story of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, firstly, thank you so much, Giovanni, for including me on this. I think it's uh, you're super grateful that you're, you're happy to listen to people from Canada and sort of tell stories. So yeah, my name is Anish, uh, sort of born and raised in the Toronto area. Uh, so, you know, grew up here, went to public school my whole life. Uh, and then towards the end of my time in high school, was kind of torn between medicine and business and sort of was sort of going back and forth. Uh, at the, in the end, I decided to choose medicine and ended up applying to uh, places abroad, including in Canada, uh, and ended up getting into a place in the UK, uh, in Scotland. Uh, so it was a six-year medical program. You do two degrees uh, the, with the goal of coming back to Canada. Uh, and at the time, I had talked to my uh, dad, who actually had said that uh, if you start out in the sciences, the transition to business is much easier versus if you start out in business, the transition to medicine, if you wanted to go do that, is much more difficult. And I thought, okay, that's really good advice. So, and also it was a chance to study at like um, two like world-class institutions in another country. And I thought, yeah, you know, that would probably be a great experience. So I took the opportunity. I moved to Scotland when I was 17 um, and, and yeah, sort of was there for six years, uh, did three years of undergrad at the University of St. Andrews, uh, where golf was originated and uh, also where the Royals went to school. Uh, so I always like to, to sort of add that, but uh, I had an unbelievable time, really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then after that, went to the University of Edinburgh to finish my sort of clinical medical, medical degree, uh, while also doing uh, electives uh, at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Uh, so I spent a summer in Edmonton, which was also a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, that was actually my time when I sort of decided as I was doing my sort of residency program back in Canada of like, you know, um, maybe this isn't for me. Like the, the job was great and the work was interesting, uh, but it was work. Like there was no, there was nothing, there was no passion behind it. I just sort of showed up to, to work, do a job and that was it versus I always thought like, okay, is there something else that I can do? And that's when I started to explore other opportunities and think like, okay, can you transition your 
or my insight in medicine and sort of do something else. And that's when, again, I went back and I'm very fortunate to have a dad who sort of worked at the intersection of business and healthcare. And he said, yeah, like, you know, you could definitely move from medicine into a career in business because like your skill set and knowledge and um, the way you think is very valuable to a lot of people. Um, and so he introduced me to a couple of people that I spoke to just to get an understanding of like, you know, what does banking look like, for example, what does consulting look like, and sort of start to have these conversations with people in industry, uh, just to understand what was what else was out there. Uh, and then yeah, sort of graduated and started to talk to people, uh, started applying for jobs at the same time, uh, got rejected from all of them, as I, I'm sure many, many young people understand. Um, and, and, but throughout that, it was really uh, just continuing to learn and understand, uh, while also sort of the idea was, my backup plan was to actually go back to school and do a master's degree uh, in drug discovery and pharma management um, in, in London uh, to sort of transition uh, to work in industry. Uh, so eventually, yeah, had that as a backup, but always sort of thought I wanted to get a job. And, and at the end, I, at end of that summer, my dad told me about this thing called VC, uh, which I did not know at the time. And I, I can't say that I planned on getting in. Uh, my understanding of VC was very limited to uh, a show called Silicon Valley and you know what happens in tech and Facebook and Twitter and Uber. Uh, but I didn't know that there was this whole world of VC that works in healthcare where you know you can invest in early stage uh, med tech startups and therapeutic startups and digital health companies and all these other things. Um, so anyway, I, I basically what I did was I cold emailed about 75 VCs around the world, just sort of said, hey, you know, just graduated. Uh, I'd love if you have a chance to speak and like, you know, if you, if you have any advice for me. Um, and as you expect, again, a lot of a lot don't respond, um, but a couple of people did. Um, and one fortunately uh, sent me an email saying, hey, we saw your application. Uh, we actually have this fellowship program in six months. Uh, you can come work with us. Uh, are you interested? I said, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Um, so I, I interviewed with them, sort of three rounds of interviews. Uh, and then two days before I was about to actually move to London, uh, I got the job uh, and turns out the job was in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, so a couple of weeks later, I had to, you know, rearrange everything, uh, phone and bank and where am I going to live and all that uh, and ended up, yeah, getting a, on a plane to, to the Netherlands where I spent uh, seven months working with that firm. Um, awesome experience, like really, really enjoyed it. The Netherlands is a beautiful country. Um, and then through that experience, sort of as I was uh, sort of halfway through, um, was when they, I sort of found out that I wasn't going to have a job uh, afterwards. And so I had to start reaching out to people again, starting to talk to people, have conversations, see if I could continue in VC or if I had to, you know, go back to medicine or do a different career. Uh, but, you know, I was very fortunate to sort of meet people again around the world, uh, you know, firms that are in Europe, in the US and Canada, um, and, and sort of got to the final stages with a couple firms. And then in the end, selected Amplitude, uh, mainly because of the Canadian angle and sort of being able to come back to Canada, but also just the quality of the team that I was joining uh, and the firm uh, and, and what they were starting to build and what they wanted to build in Canada. Uh, and so, yeah, joined the team eventually, uh, sort of this was July, 2019, uh, originally based in Montreal where, they were, uh, where we're headquartered uh, and then sort of COVID hit and I, it sort of accelerated my move back to uh, Toronto uh, where I've now been for the last uh, year and a bit. Um, so yeah, that's that's been my sort of journey to, to now. So that's who Anish is. Now you alluded to Amplitude Ventures and that's where you are now as an analyst, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So tell us about Amplitude Ventures. What is it that they focus in? What is it geographically speaking, check size, type of companies, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Just tell us who Amplitude Ventures is. Yeah, absolutely. So Amplitude Ventures was conceived uh, in 2018, uh, to sort of end of 2018, 2019. And it was a spin out of a company called the BDC. Uh, so the BDC is the Business Development Bank of Canada. It's like a crown corporation here in Canada. Uh, and they had a healthcare fund uh, that our former team and my former partners sort of managed. Uh, and so when they were managing that fund, they were investing in therapeutics and med tech. And sort of that was the thesis that what they wanted to do. Uh, but at the time, they wanted to spin out of the BDC and create their own individual entity. Uh, so that was a sort of backstory. And I joined uh, as 
they were sort of spinning out and raising that initial money. Um, and so, so who Amplitude is, so basically we're about a $200 million fund uh, sort of based across Canada, sort of Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, uh, investing broadly in uh, healthcare and life sciences, uh, mostly in Canada. So I would say about 80 to 85% of our capital is dedicated towards Canada uh, with you know 10 to 15% outside. And the idea with that is just, we want to focus on Canada because we really saw the opportunity uh, to scale uh, Canadian companies to, to you know be world-class companies, uh, but also just that, Eventually, hopefully, the idea is we want to become uh, at a place where we can raise money from uh, investors that are outside Canada and also invest in companies that are outside Canada as well. Um, but in terms of sort of focus areas, so I would say predominantly focused on therapeutics. So I would say about two thirds of our uh, capital uh, towards therapeutics, uh, but then one third, what we call other. Um, and so medical devices and med tech is, is within that other category. Uh, also, as well as uh, digital health and digital therapeutics, um, as well as diagnostics and sort of AI in, in medicine as well. And I would say with all of those opportunities, the way we try like to think of it is more later stage growth equity type companies. So much more sort of de-risked where they're looking to commercialize or have started commercializing and really looking for growth equity rounds to really sort of build and scale. Um, in terms of uh, sort of uh, check size, as you mentioned, I would say initial check size on the order of like five to eight million dollars Canadian. Uh, so I was, was at four to six, I guess, four to six and a half US um, and then reserve about uh, 15 to 20 million dollars Canadian over the course of the company as well. Um, stage of, of sort of company is, again, I mentioned most of it dedicated to sort of Series A, Series B into sort of growth equity uh, financings. But we do have a small portion to what we call Create, uh, which is basically where we're uh, incubating therapeutics companies um, in-house. Uh, so either we work with entrepreneurs that we've known for a very long time, our partners have known for, you know, 20 plus years, uh, or spinning technology out of universities in Canada. Uh, and we've sort of gone and, and now are continuing to work on that and have a couple of companies that are a part of that as well. Um, uh, what else can I say about the fund? Uh, so we have 10 portfolio companies to date. Um, unfortunately, a, as per this conversation, we do not have a medical device company yet because we have not found one that sort of fits perfectly within our thesis. Uh, but we are definitely still looking and, and that's definitely still a core focus of what we want to achieve. Um, yeah, I think that probably covers most of the fund, but there are, yeah, if you have other questions or other questions you think I should answer, happy to do that as well. Absolutely. So you brought up some really great points that I want to dig a little bit deeper into. So let's, let's compound on that, actually, though. Um, specific to med tech, and we'll throw digital health underneath that, mm -hmm. um, aside from pure therapeutics, biopharma, mm -hmm. um, where are the major clusters of quote unquote tech hubs and how rich is that Canadian ecosystem? Yeah. So it's a great question. And I would say, I would say from what I've seen and my sort of limited experience being in Europe and, and here, I would say it, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, particularly on the tech and product development side. So I think the thing that Canada has always really lacked is that sort of later stage executive talent that has scaled companies and built sort of successful companies because we just haven't had that level of ecosystem that America has had or Europe has had, for example. So, but in terms of clusters specific to your question was, I'd say most, most of MedTech right now, a lot of what we've seen is coming out of Toronto. Uh, so like particularly UFT, particularly Sunnybrook uh, and like a couple of institutions, uh, like the Canadian government, I think has done a very good job of investing heavily into the universities. And those universities have done a great job of like really creating uh, sort of products that are super interesting as well as imaging. That's the other one that, that uh, has been found fascinating as well. Um, and so for example, like one of the companies that I can uh, or I speak to is like one in our or a sort of old portfolio that our, our sort of firm still manages a company called Profound Medical, um, which was sort of spun again out of Toronto. And the idea being was that they found like a very specific uh, way to image uh, the prostate and also a therapeutic that sort of had superior um, outcomes to how prostate cancer is normally treated. Uh, and so now at the point now where they brought on a very a serial entrepreneur who, who sort of sold a company called Cryocath, that was another Canadian company that had a, had a uh, sort 
sort of hundred plus million dollar exit. Um, and he sort of has been brought on board to really scale and commercialize this. Uh, and now they're doing that sort of internationally. Uh, and again, that was sort of technology that sort of originated out of out of Toronto. And, and there are a number of other examples um, that, that sort of have come out. I would say sort of in terms of Toronto is the, probably the main medtech cluster. You definitely have a lot in Montreal as well. Um, the thing with Montreal, though, is just like capital. And the, it, again, it's always a scaling question of just like how much investment dollars you can get behind what's what's uh, what's there. I, I don't think it has been there as much as it has been for Toronto. Uh, but you still have that you know massive exit. Cryopath, I think it did originate out of Montreal. So uh, there there is definitely... Um, device entrepreneurs and sort of an ecosystem that sort of exists in Canada. And I would say Vancouver as well to a smaller extent, um, but it doesn't have the same, uh, I would say like full ecosystem where you have a number of companies sort of around the same area and sort of all continue to develop. Uh, but like there are definitely companies that are scaling. Like there's one, I think it's called Myocardium or Cardia. I think that's, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, that like T. Rowe Christ recently led like a hundred plus million dollar round into, and they're working on sort of uh, stents in, in the in the heart. So the, like Canada is one of those places that I think it's showing now that like that investment in technology and early stage technology uh, is now hopefully translating into companies that can really scale. Um, but I would say, yeah, those those three areas I would think are, are sort of the main, the main places to look at. I'm going to, ask this question to the side. It's not necessarily right down the middle of what we were just talking about, but in terms of building a med tech company, mm-hmm. even though Canada is geographically one of the largest countries, mm-hmm. um, population wise, it's not obviously one of the largest either. Yeah. Um, so is it possible to actually develop clinically test and commercialize a device or help med tech within Canada without ever having to leave it? Um. I would say that's, that's pretty difficult if you wanted to do the sort of from front to back to in Canada. I think what you can do and what the, the government does a really good job of like, you know, reimbursing in tax credits is on like the very early product development side and like the sort of early trial side in terms of like getting that approval process. But I think if you're really trying to scale and like commercialize properly, like Canada is not the best market because as you mentioned, like huge country and just not as many population, right? So I think a lot of the entrepreneurs or like the stories that I've heard from entrepreneurs that have scaled is, I mean, the U.S. is obviously the, the classic where to go, but also Europe, I know is another one that like people have spent time in and started to commercialize. The one that I think is also interesting, and this is sort of an aside of what we're talking about is like how many people have done in Asia. And I, I haven't seen many that have gone and actually commercialized in Asia. But I think that like, if I look at the next, let's say 10 to 20 years, that I think is a massive market that like is, is ripe for disruption. Um, but in terms of, yeah, going back to your original question, like, can you do it full stack in Canada? I would say it's very difficult. I don't think it's impossible because I do think that there's more interest these days, particularly like with COVID and the government investing a lot more dollars into the bioeconomy. But the commercialization aspect is still, I would say, pretty difficult in Canada. And correct me if my assumption's wrong, but let's just assume that the biggest partner or the market that makes the most sense is right underneath your border yeah. here in the US, yeah. where I'm in right now. Um, but if we have to look outside of the United States, mm-hmm. when you mentioned that Amplitude as a fund, predominantly focuses on Canada. Mm-hmm. However, it will look at outside investment or even take outside investment mm-hmm. for your fund. Yeah. Um, what geographic area around the world typically does Canada associate or have the best partnerships with relationships with outside of the United States? Yeah, so I, I would say one that comes to mind, particularly on the devices, is Israel. So I know that there's been a lot of innovation and um, a lot of 
a technology like yeah there's just it's it's really interesting because and also i remember that being when i was in amsterdam we had an association and an office in israel um and that was like i remember hearing a lot about like the, the technology that was coming out of there and what was happening so i know there's a very big connection between the sort of canada israel side i know europe as well like you know i think the uk has always been a very strong partner to canada um central europe i i don't i mean france is always i think there because of this the sort of french connection um but i i don't know if it's like very specific to like massive countries um i would say the strongest ones like sort of externally I think more like Israel to me, particularly on the device side is like the clearest one, in my opinion. Um, wow. And then um, I would say, yeah, the UK there as well. And then Asia, I mean, I think like Asia is always one that's been very interesting, but the way I've seen it based on my experience is like, you haven't had the same, like, or at least from what I've seen, the same medical device innovation that's you've seen that has come out of like, you know, China or Hong Kong or Taiwan or like, you know, the Philippines or, or Thailand or like, or, or even Singapore. I know Singapore is now like coming up, but I just haven't seen that um, at least come across to Canada. I mean, it's, there's probably a lot that have gone, you know, to the US and I've gone to Europe and I've gone to elsewhere, uh, but at least coming to Canada, I would say, yeah, the strongest ones, probably mostly Israel and, and the UK. Interesting. Yeah. So going back to, where amplitude focuses, which is really more of that later growth stage, right? You mentioned that you can get involved in series B-ish and yeah. onward, right? But what does the ecosystem in Canada look like for that more nascent startup where, you know, for example, you spoke, spoke of Israel, mm -hmm. um, there's something called the uh, Israeli Innovation Authority, right? Which basically gives loans or grants, however you want to look at it, to very early stage startups just to help get them off the ground, hence, yep. you know, startup nation. Yep. Um, there's a lot of grants that happen in Europe, for example. Yep. Uh, here in the United States, we have the NIH and NSF and things like that. Not as robust here in the United States. That's why we have such a great private capital market. Mm -hmm. But in Canada, what happens for all those really early stage companies? Who, who can help them? Yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot. So very similar to sort of the other programs that you mentioned, Canada does have their own. So like the NRC and IRAP, where like the tax credits that you can get in Canada are very advantageous for early stage companies. So for example, like I remember meeting a, a company actually uh, that was like sort of started in California, but wanted to set up an office in Canada to do R&D because the tax credit that they could get on their R&D was massive that they could not find sort of in uh, in the US. And also the talent, uh, the sort of people talent, particularly the early stages was in Toronto and Montreal that just, you know, you couldn't really find um especially from a cost perspective where like you know toronto's still expensive i, I could not say this uh, but it's it's not as pricey as you have you know certain places in in the u.s but uh yeah i mean i think the government is a very big part of it um there's a lot of angels as well that have sort of come into play and, and are, are, are uh, funding a lot of the sort of early medical device and also like there's a lot of i think innovation around or a lot of help i think at the very early stages from the universities so the universities i think um you know are are doing their best at, at trying to sort of you know scale this innovation and and, and change it out. Um, but that's the one thing that's also been, it, it's sort of a, a pro and con, uh, because that's also been uh, somewhat of a, a deterrent in, in, in some mind in that it's just the the ecosystem is not as developed. And I think the universities have not seen as many success stories coming out of technology that's come from there into companies that have gone on to build successful things. So there's always like a sort of hesitation as to like, you know, how much IP do we want to give out and how much product do we want to give out? And, you know, can we, can we give it all to a company? Like what, if they take it and like, you know, will we get our return sort of in the end? Uh, so I think they're, the thing that I think is, is holding back Canada in a certain way. And it's always been, I think, part of the culture is that sort of conservative, like, you know, drip financing, as we like to call it, where, you know, you finance a little bit and then like you wait for the next stage and then you finance a little bit more versus the way we want to think in our position in um in in sort of the ecosystem is like 
hey, we want to build world-class companies that are changing the world. Like Canada is great, but we are not worried about becoming the best Canadian company. We want you to become a world-leading company. Um, and I think like that, like from an investor side, particularly in, in, in bio, like biopharma and medtech and like, you know, the healthcare ecosystem, you just haven't had that, right? And I think a lot of it is like the funding, you don't, we, you know, we, we haven't had as much access to funding because, you know, oil and gas and mining and energy, like, and, and like, um, commodities has been such a big part of like, you know, the Canadian ecosystem. And, and like, I know there was a big push from, you know, 10 years ago to now to try and like move off of that. And I don't know if it has been as successful as they probably would have liked to, but I think COVID showed like they need to do it now because like Canada has the technology, it has the people, it has the expertise, it has the intelligence, but the capital that is just not as committed as it has been for other industries. Um, and so I think like, that's what we're trying to achieve. And that's what like, you know, having these conversations with you is great. And like trying to reach out to as many people as possible because our whole thing is like, Canada has really cool stuff and there's a lot of stuff going on in Canada. We just haven't had the same amount of capital come into this ecosystem as we have had in the, in, or as you see in like America or the UK or Israel. Um, but, I, and, and so I think that's kind of at least holding it back a little bit. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's definitely funding, sorry, going back to your original question, there's definitely a lot of funding sources are available for, uh, you know, companies that are sort of starting up early stage in Canada. So, um, the investment thesis or philosophy of amplitude then focusing on that later stages, right? Mm -hmm. um, given all the efforts that you mentioned that could help out the early stage startups, and then you have amplitude here once there's a bit of traction that's gone on. Yep. Um, but then once again, having that Canadian focus, but really as you with any country or company within any country, the startups, there's a bunch. And then as traction happens, yep the fewer companies get because a lot of failures happen. Absolutely. So if, if Amplitude has a focus in Canada, later stages, is there a lot of pipeline deal flow there? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say like, I mean, relative to other countries, it's not because as you mentioned, right, like the failure rate is just very high. And I think the other thing that holds a lot of uh, or can hold a lot of companies back is like the structure of finances, right? So like, do you take on a lot of debt, right? Like, do you take on a lot of convertible debt? Do you have a lot of angels that are on board? And like, and do they take up a lot of cap table on like board space, right? And like, are you managing the company like properly? Like, I think there's a lot of those that at least historically have happened. I think the way that we're trying to think of it is like, okay, we came from this place, like now we want to go much farther. And that's why our whole thing is like, you know, can we get involved in companies where like they're really ready to scale? Like they've proven out their model. The market is there. They have a commercial product that's sort of ready to go, but they're really trying to get to a place where like they really want to scale globally. And I think that's much more where we step in versus you definitely have companies and like, you know, there are, there are VC firms and like early angels and, and sort of other funding sources where they're sort of at the much earlier stages where they're trying to sort of develop the product, get to sort of that FDA approval and sort of, you know, build it up versus we're, we're at least our position in the in the sort of uh, ecosystem and, and sort of spectrum is like later where it's like okay you have this fantastic let's go build it around the world um, that's I think where we line up a little bit more and because of that um, where those later stage companies that you're looking at likely will have to look outside of Canada for commercialization etc yep. maybe even clinical trials and clinical data yeah um, does it put pressure on companies like Amplitude, who's going to finance these companies to make sure that they have a network and syndication ability outside of Canada? I mean, is, is part of a lot of your job making sure you know who are potential partners who can invest in these Canadian companies from United States, from Israel, from Europe, from UK? Yeah, 100%. I think that's a huge part of our job because especially where we are in the ecosystem, like 
we need external money. Like we like, it, it's not at the place where like you can stay within your, your, you know, Canada and like we can finance things like you all 100% need external money. And like, I remember there's a statistic going back to like our old fund where I think we brought nine to one amount of money that we'd invested, or at least the previous fund had in terms of international and like other money that was coming in. Um, and I think that just speaks to like, our uh, network and like the ability of our network and how broad it is. Um, and also like, you know, I just been very lucky too. like, you know, I had experience in Europe. I know a bunch of European investors I had spoken to when I was like, you know, reaching out um, and, and sort of, you know, trying to get to where I got to now. I'd spoken to a number of US investors as well. Um, I think anytime you can meet particularly med tech investors, I think their biopharm investors are, you kind of know them, you can kind of see them, like, you know, you can look at deals. Med tech investors are a little bit harder, at least that I've seen uh, to sort of really find and, and, you know, develop a network and build and like understand. I mean, they're are definitely out there and there's huge ones and, and I'm sure they're there. I personally haven't met enough yet, so I can't speak to you know my ability, but I think as a firm, absolutely. Like that's that's been very integral to what we're doing. And also just, I think also the other thing is recruiting, right? And recruiting is, is a big part of our job as much as it is financing. We're like the best talent like we want the best talent to not just be best talent that is like only Canadian only, but like the best talent anywhere that you can recruit to a company that could be based in Canada that it wants to scale elsewhere. And I think the way we've also started and thought about building companies is like, if you have a company that's later stage in Canada, we know that eventually you probably have to build an office elsewhere, most likely the US because that's the biggest market and that's where like the med device industry is most uh, matured. Um, or, but I mean, you could do it in Europe, but like that's, I think we've seen that less, but um, even on the recruiting side, like being able to be in like a hub in, you know, in the US, I think is very important. And also being able to recruit people where you've, you know, financed the company prop like properly, you have a, a significant syndicate that's on very good quality deals uh, that also has big checkbooks that only helps broaden the story and helps recruit people to then continue and, and uh, you know, really, really scale the company. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Like a big part of our job is definitely reaching out and, and learning more um, from investors outside of Canada. And then building that investor network outside of Canada are the pushbacks of companies looking at Canada to invest in these Canadian companies. Are they just stereotypical pushbacks? Like it's Canada, it's a smaller market. We don't really know much about it, or maybe we do, and we know that it's a small market. So thanks, but no thanks. Like what are the typical thanks, but no thanks from outside Canada capital? Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess, so my statement, I think is more general. I personally, like, again, just going back to, I think what we said in that, like we haven't, because our current fund hasn't been part of an investment. It's hard for me to say like specifically like, oh, I have this example of like when it happens, but my understanding based on like hearing it from my partners and hearing it from other people is like, there's just a hesitation of like, oh, you know, it's Canada, like it's different. Like company setup is different. Structure is different. Like, you know, can we really invest in a company that's elsewhere? Like, you know, what's really, you know, like, like you said, is the market big enough? Like, you know, how do they run their trials? Um, and a lot of that I think are just myths, right? And I think that just like goes to like, people just don't know and like they don't want to know and they don't try to want to know. Um, and also it's just a function of like the fund structure and like where they want to invest in and what they're good at and like where they want to stay, um, which is fine. Like, you know, I am not judging and, and saying that's a bad thing, but I think there's definitely a hesitation um, when you look at Canada because it's just like, oh, this like this big country doesn't have that many people like, you know, the healthcare system so different. Uh, we get healthcare at least, which is nice. <laughs> I know that, that, that sounds a little bit different, um, but uh, there's there's a sort of hesitation of investing. So I think, that and again, I would say most of it is missed, right? Most of it's just like, they've never really worked with a company in Canada. They've never really understood what it's like. Um, I think there's also a lot of tax things that I, from what I've heard, like in conversations that are also a big thing of like, you know, US-based corp and a Delaware-based corp versus like a Canadian. And that's why we've had companies that have had to set up, for example, US subs in order to invest just because it makes the investors' lives more easier. And that's why 
fine. And we're, and that's the other thing, like we're happy to do that. Like if we have the investors that are coming in and want to spend and like, look at the technology and look at the products, like we'll absolutely, like if there is, if there is a ability and like they want to 100%, like we've done that before, we will continue to do that going forward. Um, but yeah, going back to your, I think point of like, I think, yeah, there's just a hesitation of like, oh, it's so different. Like, you know, like there, there, and there might not be as many things versus I, like, that's not entirely true. So I'm going to go back to Israel. We brought it up a few times in this call so, or this discussion thus far. Um, I've asked the same question for Israeli investors, entrepreneurs, you know, the, the country that's the size of the state of New Jersey here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Can you, I mean, they're called the startup nation, right? A tremendous yeah. amount of R&D and innovation. But can you innovate, clinically test and commercialize in Israel? And the answer is no. So yeah. we call them, even though they are an R&D powerhouse. Yeah they're a dependent country if they're going to actually get outside and commercialize. Yeah. Um, Fair to say, even based on this conversation, whether it's syndication outside of Canada, et cetera, we can call Canada a dependent country as well in terms of um, building a company from beginning to end of meaning commercialization end. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, I would say like for them, it's probably very similar to Israel. And I, I would say, yeah, like that's probably a very good analogy. I think the commercialization step 100% because, and I think it's also just a function of like the investors and like the way they think about it, because like you just can't commercialize a product in Canada because of also like the way the healthcare system set up, right? Like there's a very different system that works in Canada that like has to go through versus like one that works in the, in the U S right. Where like, I think also like the U S healthcare system and hospital systems, like there's a lot more like cultural uh, interest in like trying new things, right? And, and like, you know, uh, trying a device to see if it works. And like, you know, if the clinical outcomes are much better, like we can try and get funding from the hospital. And like, you know, you'll have doctors that go talk to their, you know, hospital staff to understand like, okay, can we get like funding for this thing? Because we need to try it. Like, I think there's a lot more um, of that, like uh, culturally, that's just, I think, built into the US, which is so much different, right? Like in Canada, where like, we still have like, you know, drug pricing is still a big thing, like trying to bring in new drugs is still a big thing. And like, you know, like, even for example, I know this is sort of a little bit different, but even on the biopharma side, like bringing in like a new CAR T, for example, that got approved, like, you know, almost 10 years ago, basically, is still problems, like there's still issues with like trying to get that reimbursed and trying to get that in, right. Um, And so like, and again, I think that speaks like, you know, the Canadian conservatorship and like how the healthcare system is set up. And, and that's just like a culture thing. So I do think, yeah, in, in the sense of like, like, I do think that you can build a company in Canada on the product development side, on the tech side, you can finance it properly and get it. But if you have to commercialize, I think 100%, yeah, you are dependent on other markets for sure. So you mentioned, well, now that we have that established, but you also had mentioned, we talked about there is innovation eco hubs building themselves in Canada now. Um, There are things changing right now. I mean, even the way you're telling the story right now of of being a Canadian VC, there are things that you want to have happen. You don't want to be the greatest Canadian company. You want to be the greatest company, meaning globally speaking, and that's your ambition. So there's clearly these movements happening in Canada, yet as we just declared, it's a dependent country. Where, Where do you see the evolution of this, technological ecosystem and where the healthcare innovation ecosystem of Canada will be going. Yeah, I mean, definitely up. <laughs> so I, I think we're, we're super bullish on it just because I think there, there are a lot of things that are and components of the Canadian ecosystem that have never been as good as I think they have been now. And the reason I say that is like, okay, so let me, let me tell you a couple of them or sort of lay out a few of them. So one is like, 
high quality universities, like the universities that are there in Canada, the funding that's good, the government has put in is huge and massive. And that is like, like a big thing, the people, particularly early R and D talent, I think particularly on like a robotic side, the med device side and the AI side, like in Toronto and Montreal specifically huge. Like that is, that is a, another big thing. There's also a massive cell therapy and sort of, um, antibody uh, hub that's being created in Vancouver with like, you know, companies that are really scaling and, and are huge that like is now building in Vancouver as well. The other thing is we're now starting to see a little bit more Canadian successes. And again, what we define as Canadian successes is obviously very different when the, you know, the US defines as successes because we just don't have the scale, but like, you know, having companies that are multi-billion dollar companies that are now in Canada that have set up in Canada, started in Canada, like that's a big thing. Like, for example, like one of the companies we had in our old portfolio on like called Clementia Pharmaceuticals got sold to Ipsen for $1.3 billion. That's a huge exit in Canada. Uh, we have another company, Abcelera, which like, you know, created an antibody with Eli Lilly for COVID uh, that at one point in time was worth 10 or $15 billion. Uh, that's based in Vancouver. That's a big thing for Canada. In the same point, you have like uh, Zymeworks, which is another company that has, you know, two phase two assets in cancer with a pipeline and platform that they're developing with a multi-billion dollar company based in Canada. Um, and so like, we're starting to see see like companies now sprout up. And I think what those companies are now doing is hopefully showing earlier stage entrepreneurs and earlier stage people like, hey, the ecosystems are starting to develop. They're starting to build. They're starting to come around. Um, I think the thing that's still lacking, and again, that we're there, there are programs in Canada that are trying to work on and, and we're all absolutely a part of it as well is just the executive talent to really like scale companies. Because I think in Canada, and again, it goes back to one of the comments I made earlier on just like the culture of Canada and like being super conservative and like, you know, we're very nice and, you know, we say sorry all the time and all that. Uh, of just like trying to, trying to really scale and like build, like to say like, okay, I'm Canadian. I want to build the biggest company in the world. Like we don't have that sort of like a little bit of the, you know, Silicon Valley, like, you know, move things very quickly and like what is break things and move fast or something. I, I can't remember. Uh, but like this idea and attitude of like, we want to build the best and we can be the best because like, why not? Versus I think in Canada, it's like, oh, you know, we could be the best Canadian company and like Canada's great versus our thing is like, no, like be the best company, like build a biotech, biopharma, like pharma company in Canada. And I think what's really cool is like, we now have CEOs and I've heard this on the on the biopharma side, like particularly I would say Ali Tarani at Zymerx, uh, Carl Hansen at Abcelera uh, and Lloyd Siegel at Repair that have said like, we can build a massive, massively successful biotech company in Canada. And I think like that thesis and that like hearing that in the ecosystem that has never existed before. And I think like that all coming together and sort of all these things, I think is only positive and will only help, I think the, the ecosystem continue to move forward. And going back to how Amplitude got started. So going, I believe you mentioned 2018, 2019. Yeah. But I'm messing up my words here. You spun out of some sort of government. BDC Capital. Yeah. Yeah. Crown Corporation. Yeah. And that's a governmental sovereign state? Uh, it's a government organization. Like it's a government uh, uh, organization. The BDC is a government, it's sort of a crown corp, uh, but it had its own like sort of separate like venture or investment arm. And now you are a private VC firm from that investment arm. Uh, so it's completely separate. So like we're our own individual entity. Uh, we what, They're one of our investors, uh, but we are not attached uh, necessarily. That's what I mean. You're now a yeah. private fund outside. Of, uh, you're your own entity outside. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But so if you came from a sovereign investment arm, and mm -hmm. now even though you're a privately held uh, private capital investor. Yeah. What is, tell us about the ecosystem. We talked about the innovation ecosystem in Canada. What is the venture capital ecosystem within the healthcare space in Canada like? 
Yeah. So, so there's, there's definitely, so there's a, there's a couple of big, bigger firms that are sort of starting to sort of build. So the couple ones that come to mind, like for example, Lumira is one that's there. Um, uh, CTI Life Sciences is there. You also have on the MedTech side, actually, there's a firm called IGAN Partners, uh, which is a med device firm that's based out of Toronto as well. Um, and then, excuse me, uh, Versant, which is like, a massive fund globally, you know, it's sort of in Switzerland, San Francisco, they have also one of their managing partners is based out of Vancouver as well. So I would say like the, from the fund side, uh, there's a, there's a lot more, I think, but the, the, going back to sort of uh, one of your comments of like, you know, what's it like? I think there is still a push from us to really try and educate our ecosystem um, on the opportunity in, in healthcare and like the opportunity in the life sciences ecosystem. And what I mean by that is that like for a lot of the pension funds and some of the Canadian pension funds are the biggest pension funds in the world. Like CPPIB is one of the biggest ones in the entire world, right? And their commitment to healthcare, particularly in Canada, has just not been there. Like it's now coming, it's like slowly coming. Like for example, they did a deal with a company called Fusion Pharmaceuticals where they invested in their round, um, which was very like, you know, you know, kind of out there and nobody kind of knew about that before. But like that was a start where they're like, okay, now there's interest in like what we're doing. Um, and so we're now seeing that more of the pension funds are trying to get interested, but we still don't think it's enough, right? And we still think like the Canadian, particularly on tech, I think like for family offices, for large institutional LPs, for pension funds, it's much simpler because they're like, you know, I can open an application and I can say, hey, like, you know, here's the application. Or I can say, hey, here's like a bunch of revenue, right? Like, oh, you know, here's our growing revenue. And like the, the you know, financial analysts at their funds can say like, okay, let's do our models on like, you know, what we value it at. And like, okay, it makes sense, right? Versus biopharma and medtech also at the early stages is very different, right? It's all pre-revenue. You're all basically betting on like, you know, is this going to continue? Can this succeed? But I think the important thing to, to sort of always explain, and, and I think also some of the data backs this up is that, um, in terms of performance of like funds of, you know, biopharma and biotech versus tech, they're almost superior, like if not on par, almost superior, right? Where I think the exits as well, in tech, the exits happen, like, you know, some funds exist for 10 years where the exits don't happen. You have like, you know, multiple rounds of financing and they obviously mark up those rounds of financing, but that's not necessarily an exit, right? Because you don't really get cash in the account uh, until you go public or you get acquired or you have one of these things, right? Versus in biotech, particularly in the last three years, you've had companies go from start to public where you have an exit in two years which is like unheard of, right? Like unheard of in tech. Like you can't get a, a, there's no way you get a company from zero to like exit in two years. Versus in biotech, like that's happening. Like for example, one of the companies that we invested in, uh, Repair Therapeutics, like literally from first investment that we started to exit was three years, right? That does not happen in other, in many other industries. And so I think like just trying to explain that to big institutional investors and say, hey, the exit parameters that you guys are thinking, like they're much quicker. And you also get significant returns because at an early stage, if you can invest in a company that can create a clinical product and invest like, you know, and, and continues and, and is successful in the clinic, you can generate serious returns because, you know, there are, there are companies that will pay like billions of dollars for assets that are in phase one, like that are just starting clinical trials. Right. Um, and so like, I think that's, that's the other thing that we are trying to do a better job in, which is why like, you know, having conversations like this, trying to distribute as much as possible is important because like trying to educate a family office on saying like, hey, you're like one, socially, it's very important that you invest in this because we're not just some technology like, you know, makes your life more efficient. We're actually investing in like the future of medicine and like changing the way healthcare is practiced. But two, like the returns are on par, if not more superior and the exits can happen sooner, right? And I think like going out and trying to explain that to people is also a big part of our job as well. So I think from a funding perspective, I would say we're still at the earlier stages. Like, I think there's definitely more room for us to improve, um, but there's definitely the, the access to funding has definitely become uh, increased in the last little while. 
So I, I want to share these quick stories and, and tie my point together with it on being an entrepreneur or a med tech entrepreneur in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. um, small country population wise, mm -hmm. and then building venture capital ecosystem, right? And usually small amount of players. Mm -hmm. So two things, I had a call with an entrepreneur probably three, four months ago, something like that um, from Iceland. And oh yeah. Was, yeah. And he was building a med tech company cool. in Iceland. Awesome. And he was reaching out to me and saying if I knew of any investors that I could put him in contact, et cetera. And he started telling me the story of obviously how he was looking in his own backyard and in a very Icelandic hysterical way. And he was purposely making a joke. Yeah. He goes, yeah. I've contacted all three people that were even possibilities. And they all said no. So I don't have a fourth option. So we are forced to look outside of Iceland. It, it's obviously a small country, small population. And there's not that much of an ecosystem there. So we're forced to look outside. Yeah. So the analogy there, or the point I'm trying to make is very small country, three entrepreneurs in health tech, or I should say investors in health tech. A couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast with an entrepreneur out of Australia. And the purpose of that one was, what is it like being an entrepreneur, building a company in Australia, raising capital for a med tech company in Australia, and tell us the ins and outs of the Australian community. Mm -hmm. Once again, a depending country forced to look outside. Yeah. Um, and same thing, while Iceland, 350,000 people live there, they have three health tech investors that according yeah. to this guy that we were talking yeah. about, then you have in Australia, I hope I'm not getting my numbers wrong, but I think it's something like four, four and a half million people that live in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, Hopefully I'm not wrong there. Um, anyway, uh, then there is um, the same thing that they have, but a little bit more higher number than three. He goes, yeah, I mean, pretty much we have a growing venture capital ecosystem, but really once you get past the 22 possible options, you're yeah. forced to look outside the continental island. Um, so is it another similar thing that's happening in Canada? I mean, it's like, can you count on a Excel spreadsheet that doesn't really go past 40, 25, 30, 15 about like, okay, I've tapped out to my... Canadian venture capitalists that have a preference for my native country of Canada, where my company is being built. And now I'm forced to look outside of for companies and countries that will invest in a Canadian company. Yeah, I, I would say I would say probably yes, very similar. But I think it again depends on stage, right? So I think like, for example, if you're at a later stage, and you're really trying to scale, I think yeah, like there's just not significant investors that are putting writing, you know, 10 to five to $10 million checks into companies at the, that specific round. Right. But I think if you're at the early stages, I think there's definitely enough sources. Um, particularly, I think if you go on the family office side where like you can finance sort of at the earlier stages, but like sort of later stage, very similar to the point that uh, I think your Australian and Icelandic um, sort of colleague were making of like, yeah, you know, you, you speak to those people, eventually you're gonna have to go elsewhere. Like, it's kind of like that, where as you continue to be successful, like there's only so many people, you know, and there's, and eventually, yeah, you probably are going to have to go elsewhere as well. But by the way, before you finish your thought of which maybe you just did, um, for all those listening out there, it's uh, nearly five o'clock on a Friday and my brain was absolutely torched and doing too many numbers all across the world doing these things. For the 4 million population in Australia, I'm embarrassed to say that I was way off. It's 25 million. So, all good. So, Quite I, afternoon. No, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, for all those Australians, and I just did a podcast in Australia too. So I'm, I'm and I've been so there funny. before too. So I, should, I feel terrible, but anyway, way off on my numbers there. I mm. wanted to correct that. But um, anyway, to your point, there is a, um, uh, a dependence, obviously, of, of having to look outside if you don't hit that numbers in your backyard yeah. within Canada. I, yeah, I would say so. Okay. Last question I want to leave off with, which is about a niche. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you told us about how you pivoted or at least took the advice from your father, which 
sounds like a great man. Parenting is amazing. Um, yeah. If you have good ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, went the medical route, decided that it was easier to go medical into business of obviously what you've done. You've done a great job doing that. Now being a, I can't even call you a first-time VC because you were in Amsterdam before coming to Canada, but you know, still within your first decade of doing yeah. so. Do you love being a VC? And what would you tell those, whether they're Canadian potential colleagues that are up and coming that want to satiate that dream of becoming a VC or anyone listening who would love to become a VC? What do you love about being a VC? And tell us how do we become one if we do want one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so first on the on the like the aspect of VC, like I I really love it because for me as a person, like I'm a very curious person, and like as you mentioned, going back to medicine, like you have to I think have sort of some curiosity, particularly for me when I left, because I know a lot of like I've talked to for example medic colleagues that are like, how did you go do another job? Like we've only been trained in VC, like what do you, or, sorry in medicine, like what do you mean you learned how to do something else? And I was like. I don't know, on the side, like I just read, I read a lot. Um, so like, I'm a, I'm, we've talked about that, I think before, I'm a very avid reader. I'm like, I read a ton of, you know, nonfiction and articles and long form articles and all this other stuff. So I think for me, what VC does is really nice is like, you get to take a 30,000 view of what is happening across multiple things and learn about those things. Versus I think like, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to really work at something, you have to be an absolute expert and like dedicate your entire time to owning and understanding that aspect of what you're doing better than anybody else. Because I think that's a differentiating factor that we look at as well with like the people we're speaking to is like, how well do you really know your industry? Because if I know your industry better than you know your industry, then you're not doing the best job that you can be doing. Um, but I think like for me working as a VC is just like, what I love is like, particularly with this Amplitude job. Cause I think when I was in Amsterdam, it was a, it was an oncology focused fund. So all of what I was reading was just sort of cancer focused, which is great and cancer is very important. And, and there's a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of money and a lot of innovation that's already happening. Versus I think like focusing on, you know, you know, uh, problems that are outside of that, I think are much more interesting. I think what, uh, what Amplitude had gave me that I think was awesome was like, I get to learn about biopharma and I get to learn about med tech and I get to learn about digital health and I get to learn about AI and I get to learn about diagnostics. And I get like, for me, that personally is a very cool thing because I have, I wouldn't say the most informed, but I have a more informed opinion when I'm able to speak to people um, sort of about uh, sort of any industry. And I think that that also offers us uh, like a unique advantage because I think we can take uh, learnings and lessons from across multiple industries and try to apply them, right? Like I know part of this conversation, we've talked a lot about biopharma and like that definitely helps inform med tech and, and how you invest, but like, it's also different. Like Mentech is a different, uh, you know, business model and like how you execute and how you hire and how you do all these things is very unique, but that also informs biopharma too. And like, you know, recruiting and hiring people and, and what you're trying to, how do you build companies and like all these things. So I, that, that part of VC, I absolutely love. Um, and, and just also like at the end of the day, like for me, the reason I left, I left medicine was I thought the impact in medicine was limited to what you were doing day to day versus I think in VC, what you get to do is invest in the future of healthcare. And like that aspect of me is like so fun because like I get to see stuff that like my colleagues in medicine, like don't learn about like for 10 years, like they'll like, they won't see things for a long time versus like we're at the forefront. And we also like in our own way, get to shape it, which I find very, very cool as well. Um, but then going to your second question of like getting into VC, um, I always try and give this advice to everybody I speak to, because I've had a number of conversations, which is like, I think getting into VC is very luck based. Um, and I would be very upfront and I, and I cannot diminish uh, how lucky I was to have that opportunity and the timing of getting into where I got to, um, where like, you know, I had a year off post-medical school and I was in between jobs and like, I, you know, I had a 
dad in my family who told me what VC was. And, you know, I, I had sort of emails for people that I could reach out to and I knew which firms to reach out to. Um, and this one firm didn't even advertise their, you know, fellowship on their, on their website. And they had an opportunity and a spot open. That was like thing. Right. And like, that was how I got in. Like I didn't get in through like, you know, I wanted to be a VC my entire life and I'm trying to get in. Um, and so like, I think trying, like there's this idea because I think a lot of people come from like, you know, a banking consulting or in university, they're like, Oh, venture capital is so cool. Like, you know, you can make a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars, like, you know, investing in some like Uber and like, that's definitely not it <laughs> for most of, most of VC. Um, but like, for me, it's, it's definitely a lot of luck. And I think the other thing like is, is really a differentiating factor is like, what do you know really well and what uh, sort of knowledge that you can provide. And so my advice to sort of young people that are trying to learn is go out there and learn, like learn about a specific industry, whether it's med devices, whether it's AI, whether it's biopharma, whether it's like even very niche, which is like, you know, I don't know, like a uh, disability, um, you know, insurance, for example, I don't know, like some random topic where like, if you go online and that's what I love about the internet is like, you can go figure it out. You can go message today, the best people in that industry. You can send them cold emails. You can say, Hey, I want to have a conversation about what you're working on. You can go do that for multiple people around the world. You can have conversations and you can become an expert in a very specific thing. And I think if you go into VC and you offer that to the VC and you, and you can talk to VC, you understand how it works. You understand the intricacies of what's going on. That's a huge differentiating factor than just saying, Oh, like I came from X university and I have X degree and like, look how smart I am because that doesn't go very far versus I think if you show people like I'm persistent, I can learn things very quickly. I, I, can, I know how to like, like, that's the other thing that I think is very important skill in VC, learning how to learn. Like that was the one thing that the one advice I got very early on actually from my first boss was like, listen, at the end of the day, we don't know anything, but we know how to solve for certain things. Like I can go find that answer very quickly. Um, and so I say, yeah, those are the couple things. And also uh, maybe as a sort of a self, uh, you know, a publishing is I actually wrote a blog post on becoming a VC uh, because that was like a big part of what I want to do is like share with people that not necessarily like, oh, go to banking, but like the logistics of like actually what is the process to get in? Uh, and so like, if you check out my Medium account and I don't know if you can link that or I can send it to you and then you can share it with the uh, people, but like becoming a VC, like I wrote a whole sort of blog post on, on doing that as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I would say about, uh, yeah, being a VC. Well, a few sign off things here and hopefully I can remember them all because there's a bunch of points, but learning how to learn, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, that's also a very doctor slash medical school thing to do as well. Probably, so, yeah. <laughs> again, going back to your father's advice, learning how yeah. to learn for both medical physician or being yeah. a medical physician in addition to vc very similar traits so good advice for your from your father again yeah um and then also you told you stole the words out of my mouth because in addition to you starting that um on how much you read and you're an avid reader you're also an avid writer and you mentioned yeah. your blog post but you had sent me numerous articles as well which i think are absolutely fantastic and you know for all those listening would love to have you check out anisha's blog on how to become a vc that would be fantastic so yeah. um in addition to feeling absolutely terrible on my miss, my my miss on my numbers for the Australian population. Oh, so once again, everyone who's listening, greatly <laughs> apologize for that miss on Australian number. Uh, I've been to Australia. I love Australia. You're yeah. much bigger in my heart. I swear to God. Yeah. Um, but I want to say thank you very much, Anish, not only for your time here. Um, but for all those that don't know, Anish and I are both avid um, wine lovers, especially for the Ontario Wine Peninsula that we've had discussions on. So for all you don't know and you've never tried Ontario wine before, at least look it up because there's a lot more that Canada offers besides healthcare innovation. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you very much, Anish Kaushal, analyst at Amplitude Ventures. This is MedTech Money, where we demystify raising capital. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.